Welcome, everybody, to the fourth episode of the Staking Defense Podcast. I'm feeling excited to sync up with Tegan Klein from The Graph. Tegan handles all things business at The Graph, and I came across Tegan in uh, the work that Chainflow is doing with the Graph's mission control testnet. And I reached out to Tegan and asked if she'd be willing to come on the show and talk a little bit about the graph and the testnet itself and the graph's perspective on smaller validator operators. And here we are. So thanks, Tegan, and welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I thought we could do an introduction of you, the human, and then we could do the introduction of the project itself. So if you wouldn't mind starting with a brief introduction of who you are and what you're doing and how you got interested in the crypto space, I thought we could start that way. Great. Yeah, sounds good. So my background, I grew up in a very small town in Ohio. I kind of climbed my way out of the trenches there and accepted a, a scholarship to a college in New York City. Um, I was you know, very good at business, very good at math, and naturally kind of found my, my way into a major in finance. Um, but I minored in philosophy and kind of had a, an, also an interest in physics and, and political science. Uh, I accepted an offer from Bank of America in investment banking. And I'm sure that many of the members of your audience will kind of cringe when they hear about that legacy finance system. Um, but I do think it kind of gave me a, a strong footing and, and work, work ethic that's kind of applicable to crypto today. And so I actually I joined the, the financial institutions group in investment banking, which is kind of one of the nerdiest groups in banking. I know oftentimes when you think of banking, you think of a bunch of bankers, oftentimes male that are going out and drinking every night, you know, going to the club, do, you know, doing a lot of crazy things. But when you get into the big group, it's the opposite of that. So very little partying, uh, very little drinking. A lot of people are kind of staying up until 2 a.m. each night, building out financial models for scratch just for fun, not using, you know, the templates that already exist. Um, and the reason for this is that it's one of the most technical groups in banking. Um, so in the financial institutions group, you need to understand commercial banking and insurance firms and the modeling's different. Um, so we do all the modeling in-house in, in FIG. We don't send it to the M&A group like all the other groups in investment banking. Um, and I think that IB experience has been applicable in kind of launching companies and bringing product to market. Um, you know, going through like an initial public offering though, you know, securities are very different, a different asset class than, than the utility tokens we engage in in the crypto space. It is kind of understanding that market and, and how to bring a product to it. Um, and then I kind of took the other side of, of banking. So I went to sales and trading. I was at Barclays for three years um, and I was in on the fixed income side. So kind of all over the curve um, from treasuries to kind of further out the curve to 30 year bonds. Uh, but I learned about Ethereum four years ago, and I really saw the opportunity to kind of disrupt finance and kind of create a new financial system outside of the one that, that currently existed, as well as to kind of redistribute resources. And so found my passion within that. I joined Orchid, which is um, a distributed VPN that's working to kind of bring the internet to everyone. I helped them launch. And then after launching Orchid, I kind of took a step back and and felt like a lot of the applications that were launching on Ethereum were very difficult to use and, and not, um, I guess, competitive with centralized applications that already exist in the Web2 space. And I wanted to kind of make sure that we're laying the foundation and paving the path forward for all of these applications that are decentralized to be better than centralized applications. And so that's why I joined the graph. All right, thanks. There's a lot that I can relate to there. In a former life, I was a management consultant, 
And I put that in quotes these days, a quote unquote management consultant, because looking back, I'm not really quite sure what that term means, but um, I also worked at some big banks as well. So I can definitely appreciate that experience and background. And what I like to think is as we're looking to build these, hopefully an alternative to the current financial system, that experience we have and what I've been thinking of is the belly of the beast will help us in terms of building an alternative that is hopefully more accessible and more equitable to a lot more people. So I can definitely appreciate that perspective on that. I was just going to say a lot of great minds kind of were in banking and also, you know, in tech, which were focused on like advertising to the users. And that's why I'm so excited about blockchain and crypto, because it, it offers the opportunity to take some of these brilliant minds from that traditional space and, and bring it into an entirely new new ecosystem that's that's kind of creating a new path forward. And that's more peer to peer so that everyone kind of earns as opposed to just kind of these these centralized and, and monopolies oftentimes. Right, right. Yep. And yeah, that really syncs up with what we're trying to do with staking defense too. Uh, because one of the things that we've been saying is if all we're doing is rebuilding the current financial system, then really what's the point? So I can truly appreciate that perspective. Thanks for sharing that. So that brings us to the graph. It sounds like you explained a little bit about what got you interested in the graph. Can you give a, a brief introduction to the graph to those who are listening that may not know about it, may have heard about it, but haven't had a chance to really look into the project and that'll set the foundation for talking more about the testnet. Great. Yeah. So the graph, it, the graph's an indexing and query protocol that's powering many applications in DeFi and the broader Web3 space today. So for the listeners that are a little bit less technical, when I say indexing, you can kind of think of like a database, which is like this open data layer that sits on top of blockchains. Um, and when I say query, you can kind of think of search. And the analogy that I like to use is that what Google does for the internet, the graph does for blockchains. So we make blockchains easily accessible. Um, we, we make the data, the open data, easily accessible for the developers to serve that data to their users. And so we've kind of emerged as this leader in, in DeFi and the broader Web3 space uh, because most of the applications on Ethereum are actually using the graph. And we abstract about 12 months of line of code away from the developers. Um, and we also reduce costs significantly for these developers to then serve this data to their users and make really great applications um, so that the developers can kind of, instead of focusing on building this centralized um, indexer and query layer inside of their applications, they can use the graph and then focus on the, the UX and the UI of their applications and making it really great and really easy to use. I worked with the Ethereum name service, ENS, for about three years. Going back to pre-launch, I helped um, Nick and Alex launch it way back when. And I first came across the graph when Nick started using it with ENS. And I remember thinking, what a pretty cool and innovative product it was and how it was a you know developer-friendly and ultimately user-friendly product. So that's when it really caught my eye. And then I would say after that, once I saw the testnet launch, given my you know interest through chain flow with operating what I've been calling Web3 infrastructure, whether that's validators, nodes, or what have you. I saw the, the test net and then, you know, I thought, wow, this is a really interesting way for a bunch of interests to converge. So I'd be curious to hear more about the test net. And yeah, let's start with how it came about and what the goals of the test net were when you started and are today. Sure. So the graph has been hosting uh, the service to date. So we've kind of seen this exponential growth within the graph, which means exponential growth on Ethereum and IPFS. Uh, but we are launching the decentralized network 
later this year. And that was kind of always the, the goal was to host the network and then run it in production and launch the decentralized network at a later date. And so we've kind of arrived to that and we needed to launch the testnet to invite all of the different members of the decentralized network in to begin testing the economics. So one thing that's really exciting about the graph testnet that's kind of different than all, a lot of the other testnets that you've seen is, you know, we've been running this code in production for a very long time. So we've just entered, allowed node operators to come in, spin up um, nodes on the decentralized network as indexers, as well as curators who signal uh, on a bonding curve, which subgraphs are the best for the indexers to index on. And I'll just double click on the subgraph piece. So a subgraph is like an open API uh, that any developer can create. An example of this is Uniswap. So anytime you engage with the Uniswap exchange, you're actually using a subgraph to understand the prices of different tokens on Ethereum. And so we launched the testnet. We started with the indexers. So we went out to all of our all of the indexers that we knew. We sent them a registration form, and then we did an announcement on the indexers that signed up to be a part of the testnet. And then we invited anyone in, um, anyone to register with that announcement. Uh, we there was both press and also with our blog. And then from there, we saw over 500 folks register as indexers, and over 200 of those actually spun up nodes on the graph network. Um, and so now we have indexers running globally in over 50 or in 54 countries. And the top countries are Russia, India, US, Japan, Indonesia, and Germany. And we offered a significant amount of the of the GRT token supply to our indexers, um, and those rewards are actually locked for two years with a one-year cliff. Um, so just to kind of reduce some of the variables in the mainnet launch. Um, and then we, we, from there, we launched the curation piece. And so we invited all the curators to register. We kind of took a similar path as, as the indexer announcement. So we sent it to a few folks, announced that, and then offered that registration form for anyone to register. Um, and so we had over 2,400 curators register to the program, and that's actually was spanning across 92 different countries with top representation in, in uh, Russia, US, Ukraine, China, and Vietnam. Um, and what's unique about our testnet is we're actually meeting with our indexers and curators almost on a biweekly basis as we lead into the mainnet launch. So it's really great that we can have such a high touch point with some of our most valuable community members on the graph network. Uh, prior to the launch and then beyond. So yeah, 500 is a big number. And then I think you mentioned about 500 indexers applied and about 200 or so ended up coming online. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And that, I mean, that when, when you look at a lot, many other networks right now, that's a, that's a big number. And I think that feels hopeful from the point of decentralization. And I would have to imagine that out of those 200, I would guess you probably have a pretty good mix of larger operators, mid-sized operators, and smaller operators, because there's simply not that many big operators out there. So that sounds pretty fantastic. And when we were talking before, you mentioned, so participants were found, basically you did a press push. I imagine you announced this on Twitter, you know, in your chat channels. And based on that, the interested indexers came to you it sounded like in a pretty open application process. Yes, yeah, that's right. And we, you know, in, in within the graph team, we all have been in the blockchain space for quite some time. We also chatted to some of the other 
um, test sets that have launched. So for example, Cosmos was really nice and kind of giving us some advice. Uh, and so we asked everyone what their, you know, the top indexers in their ecosystems were that were kind of the best um, providers, but we also kind of did research on our own in sending that initial push. And then we opened it up from there to everyone. Uh, we didn't want it to be invite only at all. And yeah, it was important for us to have a mix from, you know, small folks or just one person running this uh, to, you know, large operations as well. I'm curious, and my colleague Alex has been doing all the graph work for us. So I have an idea, but I'm not necessarily well-versed in the specifics. What, what are the participation requirements and commitments? And I ask that from the perspective of smaller operators, meaning did you get feedback from anybody saying that any of these requirements or commitments were, were difficult for smaller operators to achieve in order to, to participate? Not that I'm aware of. I would say, you know, there is cost to running an indexer node. Um, and so we're offsetting those costs with the rewards that we're offering. But I will say, you know, you have the, the indexers did have to or are kind of upfronting those costs. Um, so I would say that might be one barrier to entry as if the, the folks didn't have the money to start um, on the test set. But one thing that's exciting and that we've kind of thought extensively about this because we want to make sure we are inclusive. And so we're offering delegation to some of the smaller folks to get kind of up and running either before the, the mainnet launches or after um, so that they're not left out. So if anyone listening to this podcast wasn't able to partake in the test net, but would like to get an indexer node up and running on the graphs decentralized network, please reach out to me and we can chat about potentially delegating you some tokens so that you have a similar size stake to some of the other indexers involved in the ecosystem. Great. So I guess what I'm hearing is it's not too late to join. If they weren't able to get on the test net boat, it's not too late to join yet. Of course not. Yeah, no. So the graph is permissionless. So even though the test net did have, you know, you had to sign up by a certain date just because we needed to begin the phases, we are a, a permissionless network. So at the time of our mainnet launch, anyone anywhere can spin up an indexer node. Anyone can also be a curator on the graph network. Um, and then for the folks that aren't technical or that do not understand or that don't want to kind of dive into the data as a curator, they can be delegators on the graph network where it's just kind of one click and then you delegate to an indexer. So that's another way that some of the smaller indexers can actually partake in and get a larger stake is by having some of the um, token holders, the GRT holders, delegate to them. And that would go live, I imagine, once the permissionless mainnet goes live. That's right. Because you do have you, you have your centralized service still running, that's right. it sounds like. Yes. The one, the one thing that, that came to my mind back when we were setting up our infrastructure was the requirement of archival Ethereum nodes. I know that that could be somewhat cost prohibitive for smaller operators, but I think the good news is that some of the smaller operators have come up with some creative ways to, to make that happen. And I think that there are other alternatives like maybe TurboGeth that may be reducing the cost of the archival ETH nodes as well. Yes. Yeah. We've seen a lot of creativity around that and many other aspects of of the test set and we have a very active discord as well so you know as an indexer or if you're in the test net currently there's an entire channel on our discord where everyone can kind of talk to each other and then once the decentralized network launches you know if you're not engaged in the test net but want to be an indexer you can use our discord or leverage our discord to get help from other folks that have kind of gone through the process of setting up nodes 
Yeah, and I would say also um, we're supporters of the Pocket Network. This is a slight aside, but it could be interesting to anybody listening to this that might be looking to reduce costs and the Pocket Network will start supporting archive nodes as well. And this could be also a cost-effective solution to having access to a decentralized network of archive nodes. So that could be interesting for people who might be listening and might not be able to operate the archive node themselves, but may need cost-effective and reliable access to an archive node. Coming back to the composition, do you have a sense of what the, the indexer composition looks like in terms of smaller, medium, and larger operators? And I guess, I don't know if you would know that by them advertising you know, what size operator they are, but more so that you know, I think a lot of us know who the bigger operators are. So I imagine you're seeing participation from them, but I would imagine you're seeing some participation from, from other operators and that uh, some others might be coming out, you know, that you wouldn't have expected or that you're happy to see there to round out the set of 200. Yeah, I would say it is all of the above. So, you know, we've seen participation from larger folks like staking facilities, Stakefish, Dokia, um, but also much smaller, like two-man shops or, or just individuals. And so it's great to kind of see that uh, differentiation. One thing that, you know, some of the larger infrastructure providers have kind of come to us to try to package up what the graph does and kind of sell that as a service, which the graph is kind of this decentralized protocol. And so we want to make sure that the indexers are also kind of in that same mind frame where they want to promote the decentralized protocol to the decentralized ecosystem, as opposed to kind of spinning up a centralized service on top. Um, and so I guess anyone who is values aligned with, with decentralization, we, we welcome to the, the network. Thanks. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that because it sounds like, and this is an assumption, so I'd be curious to hear you validate or invalidate it, but it sounds like the, the team at the graph comes from a, I guess, crypto first mindset. And I say that, you know, with the exception, well, not with the exception, but for example, I guess people like you and I also seem to come with the crypto first mindset, but we have, have experience in the traditional financial world. Others seem to come at this from a purely financial perspective. But it sounds like the the grass team comes at this from a crypto first mindset and supporting decentralization sounds like it's really a core value of the team. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely. Yes, I would say, you know, for me, what's important is that any project I work at has similar values as as Bitcoin did. So like open source, decentralized, permissionless. And that's just kind of like the basic requirements. Um, but I would say the graph is we're kind of decentralization maximalists. Um, and so one thing that is important to us is launching this decentralized network, not just for the sake of decentralization, but because the developers and the ecosystem really want that to happen. And so developers want to know that what they're building on is going to be there no matter what, no matter if the company goes down and also for constant uptime. So with any centralized service, at some point you're going to undergo downtime. Um, and, and, you know, the graph has seen this, we've done, you know, postmortems on, on our, our downtime or on our nodes lagging where the blocks get behind. But as soon as the graph launches the decentralized network, there will be hundreds, maybe even thousands, hopefully soon thousands of nodes on the networks that are there to kind of index these different subgraphs for the developers. And so in addition to this, I would say, you know, decentralizing this piece of the stack is really important because we can't claim that we are decentralized when all of our 
applications are relying on centralized services like AWS or, or centralized ETH nodes. Um, and so we want to make sure that we decentralize that. Um, but it's also important for these developers to demonstrate to regulators that their applications are truly decentralized. Um, and then additionally, I would, will add that serverless applications are also very important to us at the graph and we're making it possible for applications to be truly serverless for you know, the ease of deployment, ease of management, as well as cheaper costs to developers. Um, so yes, I would say we are kind of decentralization maximalists and really here to support the crypto ecosystem. You know, I personally believe that blockchain will become the future of the internet. And I think that all, almost all of the, the centralized internet will kind of move on to the decentralized internet. And we're already seeing a lot of developers move from web two to web three. And I think that that'll be just like a domino effect as we get more and more of this infrastructure built and, and kind of the stable footing for folks to come in and build in this ecosystem very seamlessly and easily. Well, again, this feels hopeful. I think even the mention of how a lot of infrastructure is becoming centralized on AWS and a lot of the ETH nodes are also centralized to date does speak to the fact that you're coming from a decentralized mindset because I, I believe so many so many networks really don't uh, don't address this piece of what's happening out there, and there could be a lot of different reasons for that. But I do feel like it's it's projects that that do see this and are actually looking to address it early on that really understand what decentralization is about. And I say that from a hopeful perspective because I believe that projects who really do believe in decentralizing their networks will also become supportive to smaller validator operators and smaller node operators and you know essentially smaller infrastructure operators so again you know if i was thinking of this from a smaller operator perspective and i hadn't come across the test net to me this would be sounding like an attractive network to to start supporting uh, because there are opportunities to continue to support it into the future and it sounds like the team would be very welcoming from that perspective Yes, absolutely. And I, as you know, as all of Web two flips onto Web three, we're going to need as many indexers as as we can get. And obviously, you know, this is a peer to peer ecosystem, so the indexers set the pricing, and also the indexers earn the the GRT rewards in the network. So um, hopefully, the incentivization is there. And in terms of number of indexers, let's say at launch, and in say six to twelve months, and the number of curators at launch, and along those same timeframes. Do you have rough orders of magnitude of what you're thinking? Yeah, I think it'll be similar to the to the test net, at least for the indexer piece, just because spinning up an indexer node is difficult, but we are working to um, get documentation out for the in, for the folks that weren't able to participate in the test net, but still want to be uh, indexers on our main net. And so as soon as we have those documents, I will share them with you. So yeah, that looks like about uh, probably a little over 200 indexer nodes on the main net at our launch. Um, from 50 to 54 different countries. And then on the curation side, probably a little bit more, but we've seen 2,400, so over 2,000 curators register for the test net. Hopefully a similar number will complete the, the test net and be curators at our mainnet launch. Uh, but because being a curator is, is more seamless than um, being an indexer, just because you don't have to run hardware, you really just need to understand the data. Uh, we anticipate seeing many more curators at our mainnet launch. And also, you know, you can be both an indexer and a curator. So if any of the indexers are interested in being curators, uh, we will have more, more uh, information on that soon. Awesome. 
And is it the type of network where of those 200, you know, there are 200 fixed slots and those slots have been filled, or is it the type of network where an indexer can come online three days after mainnet and participate in the network? Yeah, it's it's definitely the latter. So the graph is a, a permissionless network. So as soon as we launch the decentralized network, anyone can come and be an indexer, anyone can come and be a curator. Um, the only reason that the uh, testnet wasn't permissionless is just because we had to kind of close registration so that we could kick off the different phases um, for, for the indexers and also the curators. So for the indexers, I do anticipate that the, you know, the day the network launches, it'll likely be similar numbers as the, as the test set, um, just because we're kind of sprinting to mainnet launch and um, we're not gonna have time to kind of like perfect the documentation around getting an indexer node up and running, but we hope to have that done, you know, either right before or right after mainnet launches. Um, so I anticipate probably between 200 and maybe 300 indexers will be able to get up and running. Um, but that being said, uh, if you don't need our engineers time, you, you know, you're more than welcome to try and spin up uh, a graph node currently as an indexer to be ready for day one of mainnet launch. Um, and then curation, it's less of a heavy touch. Um, so really curators just need to understand subgraphs and, and really open data in the network. And so um, I anticipate we'll probably have much more than um, the, the folks that finish out the test set as curators. Um, and so right now, you know, we have over 2,400 curators that have registered across 92 different countries. But once the mainnet launches, I anticipate we'll have many more um, just because of that, that light touch option. Uh, but yeah, again, you know, the graph is permissionless. So we're not here to kind of gatekeep or tell you, you know, who can, can and cannot be in the network. The graph is a, a decentralized uh, ecosystem. So anyone is invited. And so the best way for someone listening to this podcast to come online, if they're interested, would be to, I imagine, come into your chat channels and express interest. And then will those chat channels also be the same place where they'll be able to find out about the delegation program when that launches? Yeah, I would say our Discord is the best place. All of our, our team lives there, specifically our engineers. So if you have any technical questions, the Discord, the Graph Discord is the best place. Um, and then we also have a Telegram channel um, that's a little bit less technical. So if you're interested in joining us on that community as well. And then our website has a lot of the documentation. So kind of as the documentation comes out for each piece of the decentralized network. We'll add it there. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much for your time today, Tegan. And we look forward to seeing what happens next with the graph. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks. Well, yeah, it feels hopeful. As I said, it does feel hopeful that your team is coming at this from a crypto first mindset. And um, I think the numbers are speaking to that. So yeah, we appreciate what you're doing. This episode of the Staking Defense podcast is a wrap. Thanks for listening. The podcast is sponsored by Chainflow. Chainflow operates highly available, secure, and independent Web3 infrastructure. You can learn more about Chainflow, including how to delegate to us, at chainflow.io staking. I'd also like to extend my gratitude to Luke Griffin, contributor at the Heritage Radio Network, for his very talented production help. You can find out more at heritageradionetwork.org. Stay tuned for the next episode in about a month. Subscribe at stakingdefense.substack.com so you don't miss it. And join our Telegram community at t.me slash staking-defense to keep the discussion going. Until then, keep stake decentralized.